Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Kicking off a brand new week, Rhino. We made it through the weekend. (laughs) An eventful weekend. What about the Daytona? Oh yeah, we had a Mississippi winner. How cool was that? I think it's his third NASCAR win overall and second win at Daytona, but his first Daytona 500, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., took home the checkered flag. Pretty neat. Olive Branch native. Yep, pretty neat from Mississippi. Yeah, exactly. Had his, uh, he was sporting his helmet, was he not? Uh, his Ole Miss helmet I saw him wear, and I don't know that he wore it while he was driving. I don't remember driving. if he wore that for the, for the actual race, but he did sneak in a hottie toddy during his uh, post-game <laughs> presser. Pretty dang cool. Good Mississippi boy. Goes out and wins the big one in NASCAR. That's pretty neat. It is Mardi Gras week. That would be tomorrow, Fat Tuesday. It's Lundi Gras today. Yep. Correct. And Wednesday would be Ash Wednesday. That's correct. The start of Lent. I shall be uh, attending Ash Wednesday Mass. That will be, I think, 7 a.m. i got to be at Mass for that. Uh, And tomorrow, New Orleans is all gearing up, but they had a little shooting over the weekend at uh, one of the parades. Yeah, the last weekend before Mardi Gras is always the craziest in New Orleans because you have the the really big parades. You've got the Tux Parade and Endymion and Bacchus and all that, and you'll go to some of those especially in the the more crowded areas of the parade route, and starting at the the divider, keeping you from getting on the parade route, you've got about 50 rows of people deep, if not more. And in the chaos that is Mardi Gras, there was a shooting, and five people were shot, one dead, four injured, at Hmm. the Bacchus Parade. That's correct, which is a... Really, a fabulous parade. It's very entertaining. The floats are incredible. The costumes, unbelievable. And uh, honestly, I would put the parades, uh, I think, on the weekend prior to Party Gras with Bacchus and Endymion. And then there's a big one tonight, too, I believe. Is there not? Yeah, but the ones on the weekend are the, the biggest crowd attractants agree because if if you go down for mardi gras and you're there on the weekend you're just like everybody else yeah if you're still there on monday and fat tuesday you're either a local or a hardcore professional partier yep 
There, there are very few just run-of-the-mill, oh, I'm going to Mardi Gras for Mardi Gras that are still around on actual Mardi Gras on Fat Tuesday. True story. I agree with that. But those parades are, they're, they're just, they're more spectacle in nature, oh, yeah. I would say. And uh, really just elaborate, the floats are, the costumes. And every year it seems like they outdo the prior. Really fun. Hate to see it marred, the shootings like this. And it wasn't too long ago, the mayor of the great crescent city of New Orleans, LaToya uh, Jackson, is that her last name? I can't remember her last name. I just know LaToya is her first name. She was talking like um, they might have to cancel Marty. Cantrell. Cantrell. Well, who am I thinking about that was a member of the Jackson family? I was about to say, LaToya was Michael's (laughs) sister. That's where I got that from. (laughs) Shame on me for that. She was talking like, we don't have enough police officers, really, to, to conduct Mardi Gras. Which is kind of the old chicken little parable of if you say it too many times and it's not real, people don't listen anymore. Yeah. Because it seems like just about every Mardi Gras, there's somebody with the uh, mayor's office or the police department or somebody that's supposed to be in charge in New Orleans that says, we don't have enough, we need more. Yeah, man. Well, let's hope for a safe, fun, uneventful Mardi Gras day next uh, tomorrow. Let's hope for that. It's And it's fun for the kids, too. It's uh, really cool to see families come out with their kids. My, my family used to do that. My family originally from New Orleans, and it was customary for us to uh, go every year as a family. My father's, my aunt, my father's sister and family still lived there. And so we'd gather up, and my mother would sew costumes all year to make us all look the same. That was kind of traditional back then. It was pretty cool. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. So let's hope that, again, we have a safe, fun, uneventful, happy Mardi Gras. It, of course, is the last day to celebrate and live it up before you go to Lent and start fasting. That would be the whole purpose. Yeah, they don't play around at midnight. No, midnight, man, they shut Every other down. night on Bourbon Street, you can party until the sun comes up. But on Mardi Gras, the line of horses are going to push you off of the street. Very true. Shut it down. Time to start the fasting and get serious about Lent as we approach the the passion of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ and then celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday. That's the whole deal. Well, also, did we get any more news about the shooting in Tate County, Arkabutla? Didn't we learn a little bit more? Yeah, it looks like it was predominantly a domestic issue. Uh, there was a couple family members involved that were victims of the shootings, and then seems like there were just a couple other people that were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. There is a little bit of weirdness because he shot a family member, but then only injured her husband and chose not to kill him, but then apparently chose to kill random strangers. whole deal is weird. Very weird. I don't know what to make of it, honestly. And then we had a little development on the situation in Louisville, Mississippi, 
as well. We had the mayor, of course, on the program last Tuesday, on Valentine's Day, as I recall, discussing the shootings which occurred on Super Bowl Sunday, a week ago. Yeah, there was a funeral held, I believe, for the young man that was found that uh, possibly sparked retribution, and there were social media threats of more retribution at the funeral, but thankfully nothing happened untowards at the uh, young man's funeral. Yeah. Yeah, but they were prepared for it and and uh, somewhat expected it. Yeah. What's going on with all these people playing shoot 'em up? What's up with that? Of course, I know what the... On one hand, I would say that it happens. It's a daily occurrence. It is um, something to be wary of, but not to let it run your life, because... Think of how many people live their life every single day and don't have to worry about it. Far outweighs the people that do. True. And on the other hand, I think there are certain political factions and facets of the media that look at it as just red meat. It's it's a way to get clicks. It's a way to get attention. It's a way to get eyes on you. It's like they're... They're waiting for it, wouldn't you say? They, um, they, they anticipate it. They, they get giddy, honestly, when it happens, which is sad, especially, unfortunately, if it sort of checks all the ideological boxes, and then they really go crazy about it and uh, make a huge deal, overblow it typically, jump to all sorts of conclusions just to fit their political narrative. So in the meantime, what's up with uh, Joe Biden heading over to Ukraine? That was unexpected. Yeah, they got to clear out the migrants when he quote-unquote visits the border for security, but it's fine to fly into a war zone. It's kind of shocking, and it's a little unusual for a president to go into a war zone where this country's not invested directly in the conflict, in the war. But that's exactly what's happening here, which is a bit weird. Hank Burdine, board member with the Mississippi Levy Commission, is on the program at 11.05. Mr. Burdine will give us an update on the Yazoo pump situation. We're in the Element Well Studios. We're just getting started. We're coming right back. To Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Woo! 
back in the Element Well Studios, kicking off a brand new week here on a midday Super Talk Mississippi. Senator Chris McDaniel, candidate for lieutenant governor of the great state of Mississippi, is scheduled to be on the program tomorrow at 12.05. You recall we had him scheduled, uh, I'm losing track of time now, I believe it was two weeks ago, two Tuesdays ago, and uh, was caught in the middle of a, a bill that he felt like he needed to stay around the Senate for that they were deliberating at the time. I believe that bill, it was one of the Jackson bills, as I recall, either the one where a uh, a board would be appointed and the state would uh, take control of the city's water system. They would regionalize the water system. Senator David Parker, I believe, authored that bill, as I recall, was on with Paul Gallo last week discussing it. Another bill that we discussed with Representative Trey Lamar, he is the author. We had him on the program as well. I believe it was a week ago Friday, as I recall. Representative Lamar introduced a bill which did pass the House of Representatives that would expand the Capital Complex Improvement District, the CCID as it is known, all the way up north here, just outside our door to County Line Road, which, by the way, for the folks who aren't familiar with the central Mississippi area, it is it is called County Line Road because it literally does form the border between Hines County to the south and Madison County to the north. So as you are traversing the road there, on the south side is the city of Jackson, and on, on the north side is the city of Ridgeland in Madison County, just for those that give you a sort of a visual picture. So the CCID would go from its present location just south of downtown all the way up to County Line Road on the east. It would be bordered by the Pearl River, which separates Hines from Rankin counties, and on the west, State Street, which runs north and south from uh, all the way out to Madison County, I believe. It ends up, yeah, I think it does, up there, all the way down to um, downtown, the Capitol Complex. So that that piece of geography, which is presently inside the city of Jackson limits, the incorporated area, two things would happen. First, the Capitol Police would patrol that area, just as they do the present Capitol Complex, which is a bit more compact, obviously, at this point. The theory being that that would free up City of Jackson Police Department resources to patrol the other areas of the city, not in the Capitol Complex. And probably on a more controversial note, the bill would establish a new judicial district for the expanded Capitol Complex, and the judges would be appointed by the state Supreme Court. So the prosecutors would be appointed by the state attorney general and the defense attorneys. I believe there's an organization, you talked about it, Rhino, the um, defense lawyers, something to that effect. They would have the power to appoint the uh, the defense uh, attorneys. 
So that was met with a fair amount of resistance, shall we say. Even got some national attention. Numerous amendments were offered on the floor by the House Minority Leader, Representative Robert Johnson, who's appeared on the program numerous times. Those amendments were defeated. That bill did pass. It is in the hands of the Mississippi State Senate at this point. So you got those bills swapping back and forth atwixt the houses there. And this Thursday, right, is a deadline for getting those out. The deadline for a vote, yes. A vote, right. Many likely to end up in conference where representatives of both chambers convene to hammer out details and see if they can come away with something that would get through both chambers. Should be very interesting to watch all of this unfold. We'll keep you informed of it as we learn more information. In fact, Representative Lamar is coming on the program again this Wednesday. You recall, folks, we were having a uh, very informative discussion with the representative about this bill that would expand the Capital Complex Improvement District. And unfortunately, we ran into some technical difficulties right toward the end, so we were unable to really finish all of the thoughts and questions there. But Representative Lamar returning Wednesday to complete that conversation. Looking forward to that. You know, last week, Rhino, I brought up the story of Yunmi Park. And she, the young lady who immigrated from North Korea under communist, the grip of communist control. And I just happened to catch an interview with her on my favorite daytime program, Larry Kudlow, on the Fox Business Channel. And she made some rather breathtaking comments about what she has discovered in this country, which is a movement towards the same environment she fled. She and her family fled in North Korea. And she discussed in particular the indoctrination she encountered at Columbia University, where she attended college. That I believe Columbia is right in the heart of New York City, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Rhino? Is that what you? Uh, I had some colleagues I worked with. I believe it's right in the heart, and it's. Oh yeah. Seems like it. There's a focus on kind of known for engineering. It's what their specialty is. You're looking at the profile. It's, it seems that I, I know the folks I worked with were engineering grads, and they they're awful proud of it. Columbia scientists and scholars have played a pivotal role in scientific breakthroughs, including brain-computer interface, the laser and maser, nuclear magnetic resonance, and the first nuclear pile. There you go. So, and Miss Park has written written a book, a couple of books, but one in particular, while time remains. And it is kind of kind of branded as a North Korean defectors search for freedom. Come to this country looking for freedom and end up at Columbia University as an impressionable 20-something 
and find that, in fact, they lean more towards the communist environment, the oppression that she and her family escaped. This was most disturbing. Well, since then, I noted this weekend she appeared quite a bit across the news shows, numerous interviews, and we've got uh, some sound we can play for you. This is from one of those interviews. I thought you'd enjoy it. Take a listen. We've got uh, some sound we can play for you. This is from one of those All right, we're working on the technology here. <laughs> we set? Here we go. Well, if somebody would quit screwing up my studio on the weekends, it'd be awful nice. <laughs> he said all the problems that we have in the world is because of the greedy capitalism and also the white. Western civilization and white men. That was the exact same thing that my North Korean teachers told me, that all the evils was because of USA and the capitalism. And at Columbia, professors were saying the only, only solution to all these problems is a communist revolution. We need to dismantle the system in the name of equity. Wow. I mean, that's, is anybody else shocked by this? i got to tell you, I am. Now, there's a lot of hyperbole around the garbage being spewed on college campuses. To me, this is over the top. really is, and it's most disturbing. These colleges, such as Columbia, do produce, there's no doubt, graduates that we desperately need in society. The knowledge that they obtain, that they attain, but... It seems like we're shifting away from that, from the core function of a university, which is to impart knowledge and skills on its students. Rather, we're making these these schools into social activist hordes. It's just crazy. We're coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. Started today. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hit wonder there, pilot. <laughs> so these enclaves of communism. Who could forget the famous line in the great movie "The Right Stuff"? The actor portraying Lyndon Johnson. It's all mad because the Russians get to space before we do. A person in space, and. He decides that he wants to ramp up 
space program. <laughs> Great line was, I, for one, do not intend to go to sleep by the light of a communist moon. <laughs> Heck, his party is aligned with him now, if you think about it. So, Miss Park, th- this is really intriguing me, as you can tell. She goes on to say, talking about her experience in the classroom at Columbia, dot, 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 were sometimes reduced to tears discussing feelings they harbored that appear to have no possible connection to anything we were supposed to be learning about. Does that sound so familiar to our culture today, Rhino? You talk about it. It's the grievance industry. A lecture on Homer, she goes on to say, would end with a white student crying about colonialism. A class on government would take the form of two students trying to outdo each other as LGBTQ allies. In the months I spent studying criminal justice in South Korea... I never learned that injustices could be fought by spinning new ones out of thin air. That's exactly what happens. She pegged it. She nailed it. No doubt about it. She goes on to say, you probably heard her, if you if you couldn't understand her in the in the clip we pay we played. What was said there and what she was being taught is that we've got to dismantle capitalism. It's white males in capitalism that have created so much inequity. Unbelievable. These are the same things, Ms. Park says, she was taught, actually brainwashed about, in her native North Korea. She said that At Columbia, they taught the solution for all these problems is a communist revolution in the name of equity. They were saying that we need to destroy this country and we need to rebuild the country in the name of equality of outcomes, a.k.a. equity. And that that same ideology drove my home country into what is that state of North Korea today. Of course, she fled that nation. She said they create these problems out of thin air. Their oppression is that somehow we cannot catch up their ever-growing non-grammatical pronouns. And that's the biggest oppression they face. (laughs) Uh, Unwanted use of pronouns. It's true. She said that they continue somehow to say that America is evil because there's no free health care, no free education, no free house, no universal income, nothing is free in this world. What's wrong with these people in America? It's got to all be free. She said, and I'd ask them, what is it about America that you hate so much? And they'd say, they hate America because there's no... I mean, pardon me, there's inequality. They hate the fact that there's inequality. She said inequality, she would respond, is a sign of progress. Inequality means you can rise. 
And there are other people in North Korea like me watching my family members who are in poverty. The enemies of poverty, and they don't say that. Why do we need a defector from North Korea to come to this country to scold us? That's what she's doing, and I applaud her for it. That's insane when you think about it. (laughs) She called out politicians and business moguls like Nancy Pelosi and Jeff Bezos for refusing to call out communist China for, quote, modern-day slavery, while routinely addressing slavery in America that happened hundreds of years ago. They've been tuning into the program here, Rhino. We've made the same point. You very eloquently have discussed the pervasiveness of slavery still in place today across this world, but not here. Yet here, we're focused and we try to attach and root everything on what happened. She's right. Almost 200 years ago. But what's happening right in front of your eyes in China and other nations, we're a mom on that. That's insane. There are more people in the year 2023 living a life of bondage and chains than ever before in human history. That's unbelievable. She also said in her interview last Friday when I caught her, (laughs) she said that because of the indoctrination in the schools and the lack of training young minds to be critical thinkers, they were brainwashed into believing that their leader was starving like they were. Incredible. They could not reason that, wait, he's fat. You don't get fat if you're starving. They, She literally said that. We were not taught how to make that connection. We couldn't rationalize that. Now, you wouldn't think that would be critical thinking skills, but I guess if you've never really been exposed to that and you're thrust with this idea your entire living time on the earth that, yeah, everybody, don't complain about that starving. Even our leader's starving. You never really thought, wait, he's fat. You're not starving. It's unbelievable. Well, it's because if you even brought up that point, if you connected those dots, you risked you and your family being strapped to the front end of a cannon and the trigger being pulled. Unbelievable. And you know, when you think about it, whenever you see video of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, he's the only fat guy in the whole country. Incredible. Yet that's what they're embracing. And it's not just Colombia. You know that, folks. It's not just Colombia. This crap's happening everywhere. There was an interview this weekend as well, a story out of Culver City, California. That's suburban Los Angeles. School board voting to eliminate the AP classes, the advanced classes, in the name of equity, because the classes were not, did not include as uh, many uh, minority, underrepresented communities. 
And so instead of trying to maybe figure out why are we getting more of them to that level education-wise, we just cancel the whole thing and say, nope, we're going to have to just kill that, and everybody's just common. Everybody's just average. We don't even aspire to excel, to perform. Gosh, competing in a classroom is motivational. Everybody in the classroom should be motivated, not only to perform their best, but I'll admit, when I was in school, I wanted to beat everybody else in the class. And I get mad if I did, not at them, at me. I got to do better. And, I, and I'm not alone in this line of thinking. I know that. But in this country, we're busy, in these again, in these various enclaves, trying to eliminate competition in the classroom. No more grading. We might hurt somebody's feelings. You used the wrong pronoun. You're fired. This is nuts. we got to start paying more attention to this. This march to mediocrity is sailing us down a river that doesn't have a very good ending. I don't want to look like North Korea. And that's what these idiots at Columbia are promoting. That system. And it's not just Columbia. I don't mean to be picking on them. It's just that this lady, Miss Park, she was brave enough to stand up and speak about it and share her story with the world and wrote a book. Bravo to her. We're stepping aside for a break with Duran Duran Rio. What a great video that was. About 83 or so. Bumping us out of this segment. Don't forget Hank Burdine on the program at 11.05 to talk about the Yazoo Pumps. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Bumping us into this segment that from the all hit request line today. I made that request last segment. Thank you, Rhino. I don't know why that you know there's a there's a lyric in there that uh, for some reason this whole discussion kind of reminded me of when Hornsby says they passed the law in 64 to give those who ain't got a little more, but it only goes so far. I don't know why. It made me think of that. That, of course, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But it was in 1965, of course, when we saw the genesis of Medicaid and Medicare. Oh, we didn't know what we were in for then, did we? 91 million Americans on Medicaid. 
91 million. Free health care. 91 million. Nearly a third of our population. A third. Incredible. Miss Park said also, Yunmi Park, she said, I expected that I was paying this fortune all this time and energy to learn how to think. Fortune to Columbia University, of course. I bet it's 75 grand a year to go to Columbia. But they are forcing you to think the way they want you to think, Park said. I realized, wow, this is insane. I thought America was different, but I saw so many similarities to what I witnessed in North Korea that I started worrying. She said during orientation at the Ivy League school, she was scolded by a university staff member for admitting she enjoyed classic literature such as Jane Austen. I said, I love those books. I thought it was a good thing. They said, don't you know those writers had a colonial mindset? What the hell is colonial? Will somebody tell me what that is? They were racist and bigots and subconsciously brainwashing you. Now, you were just sharing with me off the air what's happening in the U.K. Please tell our audience. Yeah, the uh, British government has released warning signs to be on the lookout for the uh, far-right extremists in your midst. And they state that if you catch somebody reading any of these books, that you need to be aware that they might be a far-right extremist, because these are warning signs. The books include Beowulf, The Canterbury Tales, The Complete Works of William Shakespeare, Paradise Lost, The Four Feathers, Lady Hamilton, The Dam Busters, The Bridge on the River Kwai, The Great Escape, Zulu, Tinker Tailor Soldier, Soldier Spy, Sharp, House of Cards, or Ray Mears' Bushcraft Survival. Unbelievable. And do they offer any specifics as to why those books are now on the uh, unwanted list there? Not particularly, no. Although I do find it funny they didn't put Harry Potter on there. I agree. Although, you've already seen what's happened there with... uh, Dolls works. They're going through and changing the words. The Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. We can't refer to the workers as little men. They're little people. It's so clear. I, I got to go back to it. When I first started doing this show, it just applies. You see it in action every day. I said, how in the world are we ever going to come together and get anything done for the good of society if we can't agree on how many dead gum genders there are. Here's an example. It's got to be little people, not little men. we got to cover up those urinals. Talked about that Friday in, in mid and high school. You would imagine they would be applauding Shakespeare, instead of saying that if you read the complete works of William Shakespeare, you must be a far-right extremist. Because in Shakespeare's day, men dressed like women on stage. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, there, there's a whole new occupation. I know a lot of people kind of stress out about all this AI and this automation, it's autonomous vehicles, doing away with jobs. What are we going to do? I got the replacement job for you. Become a sensitivity reader. That's a real occupation. 
They're paying people to go through all these classic books that we have enjoyed for generations and change them to be more inclusive and less offensive. And that's how uh, Roald Dahl's books got on the chopping block, including Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I think it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is actually the name of the book. Yeah. Uh, Matilda and the Witches. They're going through those. And descriptions of characters as fat, ugly, and crazy. They've been removed. We might hurt somebody's feelings. That's more important. It's just unbelievable. I'm still trying to figure out what's oppressive about Beowulf. I can't get that either. We're coming right back. The news is coming your way. Hank Burdine after Super Talk News, Fox News. Stay with us. And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays in the Element Wealth Studios. Joining us now, Hank Burdine, board member of the Mississippi Levy Commission. Hank, how you doing this morning, sir? Man, we're about to blow us away up here in the Delta, but uh, we're getting ready to plant crops, and uh, hopefully the river's going to do right this year and come on up with its normal rise and not have too much water in the river this year. Everything. Rocking and rolling up here. Well, good. That's good to hear. Uh, what about all this rain we've had thus far this year? Is that going to delay uh, the farmers getting out in the fields? Yeah, I don't think so. If it, it just put a lot of good moisture in the ground, they they are uh, knocking the tops off the fields right now, trying to get that grass off as it grew through the winter time. So we got plenty of moisture in the ground. The weather cooperates. We're ready to rock and roll up here. Awesome. Let's hope we have a, a good yield, a productive uh, growing season. We certainly need it. All right, tell us the latest on the Yazoo pumps. There's some news breaking there. Yeah, there really is. Uh, it seems that from our last meeting we had in uh, Rolling Fork six or eight months ago that the uh, administration, the powers to be there, came up, got their heads together and said, look, we got to do something. So they came up with a flow chart and a uh, deal within the next two to three months. We should have some answers on what the plan is going to be. They uh, had a memorandum of understanding between EPA and the Secretary of Army for Civil Works to get a plan made, get everything down on paper. Let's get this thing going. Let's get some answers. All right, in February... They were to meet with the uh, local people, the powers to be, the elected officials up here, to hear that side again, and then to get something in order to put something together to get it going. All right, March, we're going to map a bunch of products, uh, different things that they need to know where uh, different areas are, where wetlands are, where low-income housing is, where houses are. That's happening in March. And then April... They're going to come back in here and get with the stakeholders. That's us. That's the people on the ground with their preliminary findings. And then in May, they're going to put all that, that, that data together 
And by June, the Army is supposed to deliver a preferred approach for flood risk reduction solutions for the Yazoo backwater area. Hmm. Hmm. That means we're going to get something done. So that doesn't mean we're going to have pumps built. Right. But that means that they're going to put everything together to come up with a solution. Now, this last week, we had two days of meetings uh, in Vicksburg. One was from the for locals to come in and give their take on what's happening uh, down here on the ground in the South Delta during all these backwater floods and everything. Then the next day, we had closed-door meetings, three or four of them with elected officials. Then we had farmers input into it. Uh, and we had another meeting that I was involved in. Uh, these were, were invitation-only meetings where the, the panel sat down and listened to them. And then they had a closed-door meeting with the environmentalists. Now, the people that came to listen were, let me pull it up right there. You've got it in front yeah, of I you. I do, yep. Uh, we had the Undersecretary of uh, Army for Civil Works, Michael O'Connor. He's been here a couple of times. We had the Director of Water Division, Region 4 for the EPA, uh, Ms. Gettle. Then we had Brian Fraser. He was director of the Oceans, Wetlands, and Committees for the EPA. And then we had Ms. Stacy Jensen, who is acting director of policy and legislation in the Office for Assistant Secretary of the Army. These are the people designated to listen, to interpolate all this stuff, to understand it, and to put together a program to solve our problems down here. Now, we talked a lot about non-structural issues, what you can do to uh, uh, help out the flooding down here. This is what the environmentalists want. They want you to raise the houses up, build rent levies around those houses. Okay, how are you going to do that? You put a ring levy out there, backwater flood comes up, you still got a boat to your house. You got to run a pump every day to keep the water out of the inside of the ring levy. Your septic systems don't work. So what you're going to do, go to back at 11, go to the bathroom every time you got to visit the toilet? That doesn't work. You raise the houses. A lot of these houses can't be raised because they're on concrete slab. It costs three times the value of a house. You still can't get there. You have to raise all the roads. You're talking about three highways down through there and umpteen miles of county roads that would cost twice the amount of the cost of the pumps to start off with. Hmm. So there are maybe some monetary programs that can be thrown down in there during this time, but I personally don't believe, and the panel understood, there's not an answer to this problem without having the pumps. Well, I was going to ask you, what what precipitated this sudden interest uh, from the, I guess, the EPA and, and, the, and the Corps of Engineers, the Army. What what caused them to finally take action, put this plan together, do you think? It was from the last meeting when they came down here, when we had Senator Wicker, we had Senator Sidney Hyde-Smith, and we had Representative Benny Thompson down here. Mm-hmm. And we had a meeting, and the question was specifically asked by Senator Sidney Hyde-Smith. To the Rodrigo Fox, the EPA administrator up there in Washington, why was this vetoed that the EPA and the Corps of Engineers together came up with a plan? Mm-hmm. 
Representative Thompson said, well, it, uh, we've got to do it legal. It's got to be legal. She asked a point-blank question to the lady that wrote the veto. What were the legalities why it was vetoed? She couldn't answer the question. Hmm. She has yet to answer the question. So I think from all of that has come to the administration, something has to be done, and it's time to do, it's time for action, and no more to just sit around and talk it, throw it back and forth like a political football. Let's get something done. And that, I think, is what came up with the uh, plan to make this four-month deal uh, and to get it into fruition, and let's see what we're going to do. Yeah, so so I am looking at the plan, Hank, and and there there is a a, a progression of events that begins in January through uh, June, and in June the deliverable is that the Army delivers a preferred approach or approaches for flood risk reduction solution or solutions for uh, the area. You seem to be fairly confident that, that pumps have to be a part of that solution. Is there any other uh, technique that would work? From all of the talks I've been into, from the many times I've been there listening to everything that was said, including the environmentalists' non-structural approaches, there is nothing that will work. In my viewpoint, and in a lot of the scientific minds' viewpoints, that will get the water off of there, except pumps. Gotcha. Now, I was not involved with the environmentalist meeting, the last meeting of the day down there. However, I do understand that a lot of the same issues were hashed out. You need to build ring levees. You need to raise them. Uh, one of them even has stated publicly that they just need to take the whole Yazoo backwater levee out, let the whole Delta flood every time the river comes up and forget it. Say, come on now, man. Let's look. We, what are we talking about? Now, one of, from what I understand, one of the environmentalists, the National Wildlife Federation, got up and said, listen, when that backwater flood comes up, that's not a wetland. That's a lake. The wetlands are 8 to 10 feet underwater. They're destroying the wetlands by letting that much water sit on there for six or seven months whenever we have a big flood like that. National Wildlife Federation understands it. It's the Sierra Club, the Audubon Society, Healthy Gulf, American Rivers. Anytime you say pumps, you don't get pee out of your mouth before they say no. <laughs> I don't think they have been able to come up with one viable solution to this thing other than let it continue to decimate down there. Now, on the other hand, you have all of the environmentalists that are local. In Mississippi, you've got the Department of Wildlife, Issues, and Parks. You've got the Mississippi Forestry Commission. You've got the Nature Conservancy in Mississippi. You've got the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. All of them see the devastation. They understand the need for something to be done. Yeah. And they understand, I think, I'm sure, or they would not have written these letters of, appro- of appreciation and approval that the pumps are the solution. Gotcha. Hank, appreciate you joining us and providing that update, and always enjoy your insight, sir. We're going to be tracking this, and I know we'll be talking about it more as uh, we see progress uh, unfold. Thanks a lot, Hank. Thank you all. Let's get it on. Yes, sir. Coming right back, middays from the Element Well Studios. It's in their blood, you know. All roads lead to another. 
Crusades, Rebels and Rebels. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. From Karate Kid. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Text rolling in on the ceasefire text line, which of course is 601-879-4395. Speaking of... Mr. Hank Burdine called back to let us know that he had a minor correction. He didn't want to put anything false out there. He wanted us to correct his statement that it's the Nature Conservancy that made the statement that the pumps have to be a part of the project for it to work. And he stated that the National Wildlife Federation is against the idea of the pumps, while the Mississippi Wildlife Federation is in favor. So at the heart of this conflict is is environmental issues. To a certain extent. That's at least the excuse that's being used. I think it's... I think it's more politics than anything. You could be right about that. Is it fair to say... However, that that's the reason it's just been punted for so long. I would, I think that's probably a combination of environmental activists and politics, and they're inextricably linked, of course, because there are politicians who are beholden to such special interest groups. I know that's shocking to you. It's crazy. I believe there are some nefarious-minded individuals that are using environmental causes as a smokescreen for trying to keep land prices low. I agree with you. I think that might be in play as well. So today the markets are closed. It is President's Day, and thus uh, it is a holiday, federal holiday. Markets are closed. Banks are closed. But the futures are down. There is some rather unsettling news on the economic front. One is that Americans now have a record trillion dollars of consumer debt. Record. Well, and that's at a time when interest rates have been propped up by the Fed interest rate hikes. So not only are Americans carrying more consumer debt, they're paying more interest on that debt. It's coming at a higher price. And many Americans are starting to withdraw from their 401k plans to make ends meet. But the president... we got to worry about resort fees. <laughs> Unbelievable. You can't yeah. afford... 
to buy two dozen eggs at the grocery store, but by God, we're going to take care of you when you travel and go to a hotel. They won't charge you a resort fee because they're not a resort. Right. Or these other out of so-called... touch bumbling buffoon we got sitting in the Oval Office. <laughs> he just blissfully appears in front of the nation and tells us how great the economy is. He and Jean-Pierre, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. That's because if it wasn't for a press photo of him buying a dang ice cream cone, he ain't counted his own money in forever. Have you seen your electric bill, your utility bills, the last month or so? They're sky high. Electricity. Oh, yeah, I'm paying as much in the wintertime as I was in the summertime running the air all the time. Right. It's, good. it's setting up to be a, a rather warm summer indoors at this rate. be hard to turn that thing on. So you got electric rates high, natural gas high. It's moderated a bit. Price at the pump edging up, not, not at the level it was last June when it hit its high of an average of four bucks a gallon across the country. But they're bragging about they being the president, his uh, his spokespeople, and Democrats are bragging about the Biden economy producing higher wages, except they don't take into consideration the simple math of, well, your wages are up 5%, but let's see, inflation is 7 so you're really upside down. It's what's known as real wages. And, of course, that doesn't take into consideration the cost of consumer debt. So that's a bit disturbing, and investors are digesting that information. That uh, just released last week, this record trillion dollars, trillion of household debt. That's a lot, last time I checked. And then, of course, we still see lots of discussion about Social Security, still front and center. We knew it would be, not going away. Oh, something else that I forgot to mention. We're seeing more late payments on auto loans. More. And that's because people are trying to make ends meet, those that have car loans. Some 9.3% of auto loans extended to people with low credit scores were 30 or more days behind. Imagine that. But I thought we had to get rid of credit scores because they're racist. Can't do that. We can't measure anything anymore. Let's be honest. If the results of that measurement aren't absolutely equal across the board with respect to all these physical traits such as race, gender, ethnicity, and I can't even think of all of them anymore. There's so many. Any sort of measurements that show disparities there, immediately it is concluded that the system is just systemically bigoted, racist. Has nothing to do with, well, maybe you don't pay your bills on time. Maybe you took out credit you shouldn't have. More importantly, and our regular listener, Gary in, in the Berg, will agree, I believe. Maybe you shouldn't be reproducing if you can't afford it. And one of the things that 
I saw this weekend that made me think about that is that the state of Illinois is poised to mandate paid leave for nearly all workers. Paid leave. So this, of course, imposes a financial burden on employers. Nobody hires enough people you can't afford to to cover all possible situations where someone's away and they're not doing that work. And in a small business, typically that just falls on the shoulders of the owner. You know, those greedy owners that exploit their workers for personal gain. Can't have that. Right. When somebody doesn't show, they do their work. That's fine. They accept that. They know that. But they don't really count on the government demonizing them, which is what we have. And so I I read this report about an interview with a a mother in East St. Louis, Illinois. And she basically says that, you know, life happens and she... um, she has multiple children, and she can't afford to take off. And when she gets to the point where, based on her company's pay time off policies, she's no longer getting paid for her time off, it presents a harm, hardship. And I'm sympathetic to that, but the employer is responsible for that? It's complicated, no doubt. But more importantly, you know... And I, I know somebody somebody out there will get all bent out of shape when I say this, but I think it's got to be said, and I think we've got to address it. Maybe you're just not at the financial point yet where you should be starting a family. Is, is that? But that requires personal responsibility, which is taboo to seemingly half of the population. Unbelievable. It flies in the face of their make-believe utopia they want to live in. Which exists only in the minds of lily-livered liberals. That's a hard one to say. Yeah. And, of course, this particular individual is a single mother. And that never just gets discussed. It's a lot easier when you got two to take care of some of these burdens. I get it. Children get sick. You have to stay with them, take care of them. But... We have way too many situations where children are either born out of wedlock, which guarantees that's going to cause a problem down the road. You, it's single mothers or they're... It's almost like we've got eons of experience with the human condition to understand the most efficient way to get things done. And the left just goes, no, it's racist! And as long as we continue with that, that narrative... Never going to address this problem and just throwing this pitch and this burden to employers. That just means they have less money to pay people and invest and grow their business, create wealth and jobs and services. It ain't that hard to figure out. That's how it works. Coming right back on Middays. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
Regarding the pumps, I think that's what J.R. in Starkville's talking about, right? Simple to fix it. Don't let anyone use their existing pumps anywhere else. Okay. Got you. How do we, Patrick in Louisville asks, how do we get requirements for public elected offices, local and statewide, updated? A lot of offices are nothing more than a popularity contest. Well, I think that could be ascribed to almost anything where people are voting. They, they somehow always are reduced down to a great extent to that. But popularity contest is kind of a subjective concept. It could, you could apply that to a lot of different aspects of a candidate. But what do you mean, Patrick, as far as get the requirements updated? What specific requirements are you talking about that? Like the age or residency? For, as an example, I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the other requirements, Rhino, that um, kind of generic in sense. If you know you're talking about. Yeah, unless you're talking about specializing certain elected positions. Right. Like if an elected official is in charge of monies, do they have to have a banking background or something like that? Okay. Well, gosh, that would mean that. Uh, so. I'll say this in preface. I know a lot of folks are big supporters of term limits for elected officials, and I've I've said before, I kind of have mixed feelings about that. I see the pros and cons. I scratch my head as to, well, why can't the voters figure out that we keep sending these people back? All you got to do is not vote for them. That's, That's term limits, in effect, at the ballot box. But you know where we need the term limits more than any anywhere else? It's in the it's in the bureaucracies in Washington. It's these career bureaucrats that get entrenched as permanent fixtures. That's where we need term limits because they act with impunity. And now what we're seeing more than ever across the agency spectrum in Washington are these ideologues in key positions in these agencies that are essentially running the country more so than those we send to Congress in the White House. That's who's running the country. That's who's making all these decisions. That's who's influencing your life are the people at the IRS and the DOJ and the Department of Education and the EPA. The, Pete Buttigieg is a cabinet member, of course, but underneath him is a swath of of permanent fixtures in that agency that are incompetent, ideologues, the IRS, no doubt. FBI now, we're learning more and more about the weaponization of these of these deep state bureaucratic agencies. That's where we need term limits. Instead, you pretty much can't get fired. You can act up, act out of line, be totally incompetent, underperform perennially, and not only stick around, get paid handsomely, build a pension up, have a pretty good package, and you're untouchable. That's where we need term limits. No doubt about it. Jeff in Forest County says Big Lots is about to start charging customers 15 cents per plastic bag. Okay. 
Yeah, this weekend there were several big box stores in uh, the North Jackson, South Ridgeland area that were completely out of plastic bags. Right. Wonder why. I got a couple bags of chips at the Walgreens and walked out with them in a trash bag. (laughs) David in Indianola says, I paid my car off last year and my credit score dropped 73 points. Never late. It was on bank draft. I'm being punished for paying off debt. I need more details on that, David, because uh, that account, even though it's paid off, it's been satisfied, paid in full, it still stays on your credit report, in your credit history. And you do need a mix of various categories of credit to achieve the highest scores. And what I mean by that is mortgage debt, installment debt, which would be a chattel mortgage, a, a vehicle loan is an example of that. That's the typical installment debt most consumers have. And then there's revolving debt, which would be the typical credit card situation. So, yeah, a mix, a balance of those is uh, is going to get your score up. And, of course, the um, if, if it's too high, if the total amount of your debt is, is considered too high relative to your income as a percentage, and then the other thing is the percentage of the balance of your outstanding debt relative to the amount of, of credit available, which is going, going to apply to credit card debt, uh, you you can go pay that down to below 35%. Be sure you do it before the credit card produces their statements, because when they produce their statements is also when they report to the credit bureaus. Don't pay after you get your statement. Pay before. You pay it before, you get the balance down. If you got an outstanding balance of less than 35% of the, the credit line on that account, that's when you're going to get the most. If you don't use your credit card at all, that's not going to help your credit score because the credit algorithm thinks, well, this person's not, we can't tell if they're responsible handling debt. They don't have any. I know, it's crazy, but that's the way all this stuff works. You can't vote them out when they draw the district lines in their favor. The president, for example, of course, there's term limits on presidents. But there are a lot of other offices that are not members of Congress. Senators, that's where you see probably the most situations, I would think, Rhino, where they they get up there permanently for a long time. First, your elections is every six years. So the terms, two terms, you're there 12 years. So, and second, once you're entrenched, it's just hard to unseat an incumbent. And the same people that vote for the incumbent say we need term limits. See that a lot. Education, and Patrick goes on to clarify about the requirements for public elected offices. Education and background in the office you are running for, tax assessor, supervisor, and other offices that do not require any knowledge of the job. Who would make that call, Patrick? Because that, see, that's the problem. That's incredibly, incredibly subjective. And unless you pass laws that said, hey, to be a tax assessor, you got to be a CPA, and for example, and have X number of years as a practicing CPA. I'm not sure that's necessary. I'm not saying it is, but that would be an example. Like for a supervisor, what would be a requirement there? I think that would be a necessity if that were the if the elected official were the only person responsible for their office's duties. 
But like, say you're a tax assessor. Do you really have to be a CPA if you have an entire office of CPAs that are doing it? No, not in my view. Or do you just need to be a manager of people? Manager of people and a person of high integrity and a, and a good a person with good organizational and administrative skills because that's a lot of what the job entails. Honestly. Term limits are set on president and governors. Why not all the way down the list, says Keith in JS. Well, you know, that's certainly something that could be changed by law. So vote for people that would agree to support term limit legislation. We tried to get something done this year in the legislature to kind of try it out, I guess you could call it, at the municipal level. But I think that bill didn't make it, as I recall. I don't think so. Yeah. So... It's a fair question, though, to candidates for office. Do you support term limits of any sort? Uh, you know, the convention of states, the movement in the country, in, a, in accordance with our Constitution, if you want to hold a convention of states, you've got to limit that to specific issues. You can't just say, hey, let's all get together and talk about what we want to do. You've got to actually somehow declare I and mean, I don't know the exact legal process, but I do know this is true. In the, in the present Convention of States movement, which doesn't have enough and will never get enough, in my view, to convene, to commission the convention, it's term limits and balancing the budget. I wrote an article in support of it a few years ago, and in fact, our legislature adopted a resolution that week. I was down at the Capitol with um, Alan West from Texas. Colonel Allen West served in the House of Representatives, U.S. House, and he was there for that purpose with the Convention of States folks, and um, I published an article. So our state did adopt the balanced budget amendment, but not the term limits. Didn't. I can't explain why. I don't know. Voters are idiots, normally myself included at times, on the ceasefire text line. Government is a good old boy system. Yeah, but the voters aren't. That's, that's not keeping voters for from voting for somebody that would effectively, in their term, an incumbent's term. You've said it many times, Gerard. People always say, it's not my representative, Senator, that's the problem. Senator, that's the problem. It's theirs, says Mose. Yeah, I stick by that, Mose. I totally agree with that. You're running up the debt as well, right? I'm spending all that money, but send me all you can back home. Bring home that bacon, but quit spending all that money. I mean, we see that conflict all the time right here in our state. Final segment coming back on Midday. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. The Great Chicago. Okay, so you got to go to YouTube and find. Guitar Center, which was, um, I can't remember, was it HBO? They were doing specials, and they would feature some of the old classic bands. And they did one with Chicago. And the, as I recall, the host of the show was a guy named Nick 
Harcourt, H-A-R-C-O-U-R-T. But a few years ago, seven or eight or so, I happened to catch an interview he was doing with the original members of most of them, of Chicago. Of course, the guitarist Terry Kath, great guitarist, passed away prematurely. And so they were in the studio, and they were playing. They would go back and forth between the interview and the play and the music in the studio. You see it? It's, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's done. The best part about it is it's done with modern equipment, even though the 25 or 6 to 4, for example, one of their iconic tunes, that's like, what, 1970 or something. But this is done in the studio. Some of the band members are different. But the horn section's the same. And uh, it's, it's awesome, honestly, because it's done in HD audio and video. And it's just incredible. I recommend you go see 25 or 6 to 4. It's incredible. Saturday in the Park's another one they did. Question 67, 68. Fantastic tunes. So, David and Indianola, uh, good discussion about credit cards. And I share with Rhino my story. I, I never really took much interest in this until I was seeking a mortgage for the home I built in 2006. And I, I started trying to understand, you know, how can I make sure my credit score is optimized for the application for a mortgage and this was really before you had all the online tools and availability to check your credit scores. You know, you're entitled to, what, one free one per credit bureau a year, I think, by law? Yeah. Since then, there are three bureaus, um, Equifax, Experian, and there's one more that, that escapes me at this point. But the the um, TransUnion. TransUnion, thank you. So the typical credit score used by most Conventional lenders, and certainly mortgages, called FICO. The FICO method stands for Fair Isaac. It's their it's their algorithms. Uh, you can get a FICO subscription. It's pretty cheap. I get I have one. I just want to keep up, and mainly I want to get notified in case some nuts out there applying for credit under my name. But I happened to come across in the internet world. When I was doing this, someone from the Northeast that worked for it was U.S. Bank, as I recall, their giant Visa system, and he he ran the credit deal. He was retired, ran the credit uh, organization for the bank, and he started educating me about how all this works, the algorithm, and so forth. And I started researching it more, and have passed this information on to a ton of people. And it's a little different than what you think. If you don't have any debt whatsoever, and you've never really had any, you don't have a mortgage, don't have an installment loan, don't have any credit card, revolving credit, and you don't have any history. Therefore, you don't have a good score because lenders say, well, we don't know how responsible this person is with debt. They don't have any history. So it's crazy, but the sounds counterintuitive, I should say. But the best thing you can do is have this mix some in, where in your history of mortgage installment and revolving debt, pay it on time. And in the case of the revolving debt, keep that balance at 30 to 35 percent of the total available. So if you have a credit card that has a thousand dollar limit on it, you want to keep the balance to $350 before the statement is sent because that's when they report it. If you run it up to a thousand, a lot of people brag about this. You've heard them. Yeah, but I pay it off every month, right? But when it gets sent to the credit report, 
the credit bureaus, it shows up that you maxed out your credit card. You paid it off the day you got your statement to zero, but when they sent the report, when they reported to the bureaus, they reported you as having maxed out your credit card. They don't know you paid it off. That's not reported. The only thing they get is what's the balance and what's the credit limit. And then if you, something else that will hurt your score is if you're seeking new debt, that would possibly require the lender to do what's called an inquiry. And if it's in, some inquiries don't affect your score, some do. You need to find that out before you agree to an inquiry. But they're going to do an inquiry to check your credit report. And that's all in the fine print whenever you're doing those various uh, credit applications. So, so, David, you're not being punished for living on a plan. The assumption is you don't need any debt. So they don't have any history. If, if you want to keep your credit score up, again, sounds counterintuitive. You need that mix of debt. Just be responsible with it. And don't do that right before you need a big loan, as Rhino was telling me. Uh, he he kind of described it. Don't get a credit card a month before you apply for a mortgage. Do it six months out. Pay it. Keep the balance low. You'll watch your credit score go up. You'll get the best mortgage rates if that's what you want to do. I subscribe to my FICO. Well worth it on the ceasefire tax line. Totally agree. We are out of time here today. We appreciate you joining us. Don't forget Senator Chris McDaniel on the program at 12.05 tomorrow. We're back in the Element Well Studios. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.